Father, we do look forward, God, to uh, what you're going to do today. Thank you, Lord. God, just for your faithfulness. Thank you for raising up men to write these letters that we can look at and, and we can study and we can better understand you, better understand us, better understand our world. So I pray that as we look this morning that, Lord, you would minister to our hearts. And God, we would get an understanding of uh, who we are in our relationship with you, but maybe even greater, who we are as a church. And, and Lord, what we, uh, our responsibilities, our privileges as a church. So bless this time, I pray, and work mightily in every one of our hearts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, last time we were looking at Jude, and, and remember, the theme of Jude is that we need to contend earnestly for the faith. We need to be people, we're going to fight for the faith, and, and you know, not just talking about our faith in God, but talking about the doctrine, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we're going to be immovable, we're going to be people who we're going to make sure that that stays rock solid and steady. And then as, as, as uh, Jude, as again, I keep wanting to call him Job. So if I say Job, sorry, I mean Jude. But as Jude, listen, as he works through this, he's then letting us know there's some people who are in opposition to what we're doing and just some people who are you know, apathetic and some people who are falling away, turning away from the faith and trying to twist things around. Now here's the thing, if they were doing it in the first century, you know they're doing it in the 21st century. Things have not changed much. So Jude's thing to us is we need to be careful, we need to be watching, we need to be observant, and we need to understand that these people really exist and their purpose is to distract us from what God has in front of us, to pull us away from that and get us sidetracked. So as he's, as he's letting us know, then he's giving us illustrations. And last time we looked at the illustrations when we're, we're looking at, you know, how Israel uh, fell by and turned apostate by unbelief, how the angels, they fell because of rebellion against authority, and then Sodom and Gomorrah, how they got destroyed because of sexual immorality and going in that direction. And, and listen, he's using those as illustrations of these people who are creeping in the church. So he's telling us to be careful. Now, in verse 8, he kind of he uh, keeps going a little bit there, and he says, listen, likewise, also these dreamers. So he's saying likewise. What is he saying? He's talking about people who are coming into the church, and he's saying, just like these three illustrations I gave you, he says, these dreamers, and it's interesting he calls them dreamers, isn't it? Because that's kind of what they are. Listen, they're not giving us facts, and they're not giving us real life. They're dreamers, and there are people who are living in a, in a whole different world, so to speak, and trying to drag us into that world. And he says, these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. So, listen, these are people who come in. Number one, they kind of have wild ideas. And then there are people that, when he talks about defiling the flesh, he's talking about, hey, there are people who, they live kind of immoral lifestyles, they do those things. And there are people who, hey, they don't like authority. And we're going to talk about that again in a little bit. They're going to be people who push against authority, reject authority, and then they're going to speak evil of people who are in authority. And Judah's concerned about that. Why? Because they're in the church. They're disrupting what's going on, 
and in the body that he was part of. So he's wanting people to know. So he lays that out, and then I kind of get, you know, in my mind, again, I like to, like to kind of have, you know, little plays and movies going on in my mind as I'm reading. And in my mind, Jude's sitting there writing, and, and when he says, hey, they speak evil against dignitaries, I think he's like going, oh, yeah. I remember, I remember one time, I remember a really heavy story. So he tells us this story, and this is kind of, this is an interesting thing, and once again, probably why Jude's picked on so much as a book. In verse nine, he says, yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring an accusation, uh, bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, I read that, and I'm going, what? Like, what is he talking about? Number one, Michael's the only angel who's ever named an archangel. I know a lot of us think other people are and et cetera, but Michael's the only one identified as an archangel. We talk about different ones, but he's identified. And so here's what that's telling me. In the, you know, in the, uh, in, in the angel realm, there's like, there's these angels, and then there's these angels, and then there's Michael, right? Like, he's like, wow, and you're kind of going, okay, so this is somebody special, and he lets us know that, and then he says, listen, and contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses. That just sounds weird to me. Now, this is no place in Scripture. Like, I can't give you a Scripture reference where this took place. I can give you a scripture reference where the Lord buried Moses. The Bible tells us that when Moses died, the Lord took him and buried him and, and just putting it kind of plainly in a secret place. Now why did that, why did the Lord do that? Why, why did the Lord separate and do that with Moses? I think for one reason. I think if we knew where Moses' tomb was, or at least Israel, if they knew, they would be worshiping there. Israel, obviously during the time he was alive, loved Moses, respected Moses, revered Moses, and then afterwards they did, and even down to this day, Moses is highly revered in Israel. Well, if you had his tomb, it would be a place of, of worship, and, it's a, and, and the Lord knows that, so the Lord just said, huh, you're never gonna find him. So, listen, we know that the Lord did that, and that's in Deuteronomy 34. But what is this thing about Michael the archangel and the devil fighting over the body of Moses, having this thing going on over the body of Moses? Part of it, listen, part of it, I think, obviously, obviously, Jude's been given a revelation here that God has given him about this, but I think what's going on you need to remember something. God made certain promises. And the devil is trying to do anything he can to keep those promises from coming true. He made a promise to bring the Messiah. The Messiah had to come through the nation of Israel. That's the way God promised. That's what God told them. Here's what's gonna happen, and here's how it's going to happen. And ever since then, listen, when you look at Israel, you look at all of the things that have happened over even, even before Israel became a nation. Everything that happened was to keep God's promises from coming true. If I can keep the nation of Israel from becoming the nation of Israel, God's promise won't come true. Therefore, he will fail and I will win. So Satan the whole time is battling against that. 
So it's not any wonder that he would want to make sure that everybody knew, know, would know where Moses, where Moses was buried. So evidently, when God went to bury him, there's a little bit of, listen, there's a little bit of a battle going on. And then it tells us, listen, as they're, as they're, as they're having this, uh, this battle over and this dispute over the body of Moses, it says that Michael did not dare bring an accusation. What did Michael say? The Lord rebuke you. Shouldn't that teach us something? Listen, if this angel like way up here, I mean a really powerful, powerful being, is not going to go one-on-one uh, -on -one and say things to the devil and yell at him and tell him certain things, shouldn't that tell us something how maybe we should do some warfare and how we should res at least respect the, the, the power of Satan and not be kind of flippant about it. I have to be really honest. When I'm with people and they bind Satan and put him in a pit, that always bothers me because he keeps climbing out of that pit. <laughs> right? I don't, know, I don't know if he's got a grappling hook. I don't know what's going on. But man, he never stays in there. So listen, I think sometimes when we do that, I think we think we have power and we don't really have the power or and this is gonna sound bad, or we're just speaking in the air. I think we need to be like Michael, and we need to turn Satan over to the Lord, and have the Lord rebuke him, and the Lord come through. I've shared before, one of, one of my favorite stories in, in, in uh, uh, the kind of warfare thing, Dave Wilkerson, I don't know how familiar you are with him, he started the whole thing uh, uh, with, uh, working with gangs and uh, kind of helping kids come out of gangs and reading his book, The Cross and the Switchblade. In that, he talks about when Satan ever, whenever Satan came against him, and, and he put it this way, when Satan knocks on, on, on the door of my heart, I open the door and I see it's Satan, and I turn around and say, Jesus, it's for you. That's how we should do things, right? Let the Lord, listen, it's the Lord's battle, and he can do it. So, and I gotta be honest, man. If Michael is saying, I'm not going to bring a reviling accusation, then I should pay attention. And Michael says, hey, the Lord rebuke you. So number one, we're learning a little bit there and getting an understanding there. And then he says, listen, but these, and let's think about it, but these speak evil of whatever they do not know. So here's what he's saying. These apostate people, these people creeping into the church, they speak evil of things they don't know, huh? In other words, hey, they don't have an idea and a good understanding of spiritual things. They have an understanding of fleshly things. Why? Because they're in the flesh. They're not in the spirit. And he says, hey, they speak evil, these guys. They speak evil of things they do not know. And whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, whatever they know in the flesh, like brute beast. And these things, they corrupt themselves. So again, he's talking about these guys are acting in the flesh and we need to pay attention. We need to understand something, man. Cardinal people, people in the flesh, are gonna do things by the flesh. They're not gonna do things by the spirit. And we need to pay attention to that. Now listen, I, I'm, not thinking, I'm not thinking people are like actually here in the body. Some might be. I don't know everybody in here but I'm talking about the world we live in. We live in the information age, right? 
And there is so much stuff out there, and I think we're blessed. Listen, we can get, we can get Bible teaching 24-7. It's always available. You can get it online. You can get, it, you can get YouTube stuff. You can, you can you know, go to church. You can do all kinds of stuff, and that's good. But man, there is some really, really, really bad stuff out there in the name of Christ. We need to be discerning. We need to be careful. And once again, if they had to be careful, how much more us when we have all of this stuff available? And we need to be discerning. Listen to people. Watch. See how they act. Is it drawing? Is it, listen, is it appealing to your flesh or is it appealing to your spirit? Because we all have this flesh that, that, that is still there, right? My old man, man, I, I, I really wished I could like kick him out. But he comes around every once in a while, and I get drawn towards those things. So we need to be careful. Now, Judas and done though, then he says, listen, he says, he says, in these things they corrupt themselves. And then he says in verse 11, woe to them. Listen, man, he understands what's going on, right? Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. They have run greedily into the air of Balaam for profit, and they have perished in the, uh, in the rebellion of Korah. So now, listen, he brings, up, he brings up three different illustrations again. Are you kind of noticing this guy is all about illustrations and all about giving biblical references. He's talked about, again, talked about Israel, talked about Sodom and Gomorrah. He's talking about three people here. You get the idea that Jude maybe read his Bible? I kinda, and, and I do find it kind of interesting because when you look at Jude before Jesus died, he was rejecting the whole idea. And I don't know, I don't know if he was spiritual and caught up in, in, in some of the religion of the day rejecting him, or if he was just rejecting everything, but he was rejecting Jesus until the resurrection. But now we find out, man, this guy knew his word. He knew the Old Testament. So he's bringing up three more illustrations for us and letting us know three different things or three different characters or what I call, you know, three different people who are very religious but not necessarily spiritual. There's a big difference, and I hope we understand that. And that's what goes on. You've got people who can be very religious, but they don't know Jesus, and they don't have a relationship, and they just have religion. The first one he brings up is Cain. A lot of us know about Cain, right? If you don't, you can read Genesis uh, chapter four. But most of us know about Cain. Him and his brother come, and they bring an offering, right? They both bring an offering to the Lord. Abel, the brother, brings an offering of a sheep. He had slaughtered a sheep and brought that offering to the Lord. Cain brought an offering of the first fruits of what he grew. And it says the Lord rejected Cain's offering and Cain got bummed out. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Now, there's a lot of discussion when, when, you, when you study that. Why did God reject Cain's offering? Some people say God doesn't like vegetables. I'm not sure that's so true. I think that's kind of weird, right? That's just a weird thing to say. And, and uh, people go that direction. I'm thinking, nah, I think, I think God likes vegetables. I think he's okay with them. And then others will say God doesn't like farmers. That's dangerous, right? So I, I'm, sure, I'm sure that wasn't it. Why did God reject that offering? Because God, because, because even that we have, God rejected us, rejected the offering, lets us know 
God had told them how to approach him. God had laid out, here's how you come to me. Cain decided to do it his own way. I don't need to come how God says to come. I will come my own way and I will bring what I think. Listen, what he brought isn't necessarily bad. It's his heart was bad. We cannot do things and come to God our own way. We come to God his way. And I think of today, 21st century, how many people want to reject that Jesus is the only way to come to God? People want to reject that. That's true. It's the, that's the only way you're going to have a relationship with God, period. There's no other way. There's no other way under heaven to be saved. You know, the Bible's clear on that. So listen, Cain said, hey, I want to come my own way. And then what happens with Cain is the Lord says, Cain, you know, and I'm going to paraphrase a lot. He's kind of saying, dude, you're blowing it here. Come on. Come on. Even your little brother got a hold of this. And what happens? And, and God even tells him, watch your heart. Change what's going on, lest you really sin, right? And then he kills his brother. And we have that whole story. So the first illustration that that uh, uh, Jude gives us is re- false religion or a religion that comes, you know, by your own way, a false worshiper. Then he says, then it's kind of odd, then he says, listen, there's the way of Cain, or they've run greedily into the air of Balaam for profit. Now, I think a lot of us know about Cain. Maybe we're not so familiar with Balaam. And Balaam, you can read about him in Numbers chapter 22 through 24. And it's an interesting story. It's kind of a long story. But I, I, you know, I find it kind of fascinating. Balaam was a prophet of God. He represented God to the people. God had raised him up. And there was a king, the king of Moab, Balak, who wanted to do away with Israel. Once again, why, did, why was Balak so, so intense on stopping Israel. I think he was motivated by Satan. Once again, trying to stop that whole thing so that the Messiah cannot come. So Balak wants to stop Israel and he can't figure out how to do it and he hears about this prophet of God so he gets an entourage together and he says, you know what, go get this prophet of God and hire him to curse Israel. That's kind of weird, right? You wanna get a prophet of God to curse God's people. That's just like, to me, it's like, dude, I think you're a little nuts. So the people, the entourage goes to Balaam, and they go, hey, Balaam, we want to hire you to curse, the, to curse God's people. And what's kind of weird is Balaam goes, okay, let me go see if God will let me do this. Seriously? Like, you have to ask God? And God says, no, you can't curse my people. They're my people. What's the matter with you? This is a paraphrase. And so Balaam goes back and says, you know, go back and tell Balak, I can't do that because I'm a prophet of God and I can't curse God's people. So he goes back and tells them. So they, they get a bigger entourage, a little bit more money, and they come back and they go, hey, we got more money. Maybe that'll help, right? And maybe God will change his mind. And then Balaam goes and asks God again, like God's going to change. Okay, since it's more money, let's curse them. And so then, then Balaam and God have this conversation, and finally God says, just go, just go but you can't curse him. So he goes, and he takes off, and this is, this is like my favorite part of the story, right? He's riding his donkey, 
And he's going along, and then they're kind of in a canyon area, and there's kind of a wall on one side. And an angel of the Lord gets in front of the donkey and says, like, I don't want you to go any further. Balaam can't see, the, can't see the angel, but the donkey does. And the donkey, like, scrapes him up against the wall and kind of messes him up. And he, like, he, like, bam, he hits his donkey. Knock it off, donkey. And they go a little bit further, and the angel shows up again. He starts hitting on his donkey. And the donkey finally turns around and tells him, why are you hitting me? Clue number one, your donkey is talking to you. Like, that is huge, right? I mean, I think that's a really big, big thing. Sometimes I read my Bible and I think, what are these guys, idiots? I mean, if a donkey turns around and says, quit hitting me, why are you hitting me? I think I would think something's, something's a little strange, right? There's something different going on here. Maybe I should pay attention. Then he has a conversation with the donkey. He says, I'm hitting you because you're scraping me against the wall. And the donkey says, don't you see that big angel? He goes, he's standing right there. And so they have a conversation. Then Balaam finally goes and blesses God's people. Huh, what did he get hired to do? Curse God's people. And he gets up on the mountain and he blesses them. And, and Balak goes, oh, dude, you were supposed to curse them. Do you not know cursing is bringing a curse, not a blessing on them? What are you doing? He says, I can only speak what God tells me to speak. And then he does this. I still want your money, bro. So I can tell you how you can destroy Israel. It's pretty simple. I don't need to curse them. I can tell you how to do it. Balak goes, how do I do it? Have your women intermarry with their men and you will destroy them. You'll take care of them. So give me the money. And hey, it almost did destroy Israel. It almost worked. So that's Balaam. So here's a guy who's supposed to be, and, and what's, the, what's the thing? He's supposed to be representing God, but he's more interested in money. And what does Jude tell us here? Don't go the way, don't run in the, in the greedy heir of Balaam who, who worked for profit. Balaam, obviously a false prophet, but doing things for money and out of greed, and that's a dangerous thing. Listen, I know there's greed in the ministry, but that's kind of crazy, right? It's kind of crazy. I think, I, you know, I've been involved in ministry for over 30 years, and, and you know, the ministry I've been involved in, it's hard to get greedy in, and uh, you know, it's kind of weird. I don't think we've ever had anybody on staff who's done it for the money. You can ask people on staff, it's usually not for the money, it's for the love of God. So he says, listen, look at these guys and understand, and again, we can see it around us. And then, listen, then his last one, his last one is, and, and these guys, woe to them, for they've gone the way of Cain, they've run greedily into the air of Balaam, and perished, in the rebellion of Korah. Now again, somebody we don't know a lot about, a lot of us, because here's why, he's in number 16. The last two guys we talk about, notice they're in the book of Numbers. How much time do you spend in the book of Numbers? Oh, I don't like that book, Pat. I just don't even like reading it. It's all those names and all of that, you know, and all that genius, and it's just hard. There's some great, great stuff in the book of Numbers. You just gotta kind of wade through the other, and I get, listen, I don't like reading a whole list of names that I can't pronounce that are foreign to me, but you know what? I force myself to read through those so I can get to this other stuff. And so 
as Israel is sort of in a mess in the book of Numbers, and they're, they're, they're kind of wandering around a bit, one guy gets tired of his position that God has given him. His name's Korah. Korah was a priest. He was part of the, the line of Levi. He had a position. He had a, a service to God. He had something that he was supposed to do, but he wasn't satisfied with that. He wanted more. Wasn't satisfied with where God had placed him. Kind of think about that in your life because I think a lot of us can kind of get that way. Hey, you gotta, you gotta do, do and stay where God places you and do that with all your heart. And he wasn't satisfied. He wasn't content in doing that. So here's, here's what he said. Oh, if I were in charge, how much better this would look. And so he starts vying for a position and he gets a couple people to follow him. Uh, he gets this guy named Dathan to follow him, another guy named Abiram to follow him. So you have this little bit of following now, and you got these other guys on your side. And then he goes up to Moses, and he goes, Moses, I've decided you shouldn't be the leader. I think I should take over. Again, paraphrasing. And then Moses goes, seriously, dude? Like, you really think that's your position? Yeah, I do. Moses goes, I don't think so. Because God put me in this position, and he hasn't told me to leave yet. Again, I'm paraphrasing. And so he goes, you know what? Let's find out. Let's find out from God. I love what Moses does. Some of us would just, like, battle it out, right, and have the argument. Moses goes, let's find out from God. In the morning, you gather your people. I'll gather me and Aaron. We'll have a, you know, showdown at sunrise, and we'll see what happens, and we'll see whose side God's on. So listen Korah, Dathan, and Abiram all get together and get 250 men, and they all bring censors, and Moses and Aaron show up. They light their censors. They start doing stuff, and then, God, and then Moses said, okay, let's find out who God has chosen. And again, I'm going through a lot real fast. And what happens? The ground opens up, sucks those 250 people down, and shuts I don't know about you, but again, that would be a little bit frightening to watch, right? You see that going on, you're going, whoa. And then Moses said, I guess we know who God chose. <laughs> but there's still some more rebellion, and a plague hits, and you know 14,000 Israelites died because of Korah? Be careful. Be careful. When, when I look at that, that's intense. And all because somebody thought they should be an authority who God has never called an authority. And saints, we need to be careful, especially sometimes when some people are whispering certain things and saying certain things. Whenever I think about that, I think about, remember, remember when uh, Absalom decided he wanted to take over the kingdom from, from I was going to say from Moses, from David. And remember he sat at the gate and what did he do? If I were Be careful. Be careful when people are trying to usurp authority, and especially when they're talking bad about people who are in authority, if it's unwarranted, right? So now we have these three people, and so, you know, obviously, obviously, Korah is a sign of, you know, a false uh, leader or a false priest going on. So think about this. You've got three different illustrations here of three different men in biblical history who 
blew it one way or another all because they didn't want to be faithful to what God had shown them and what God had given them and the direction that God had given them. So he says, listen, look at these guys and understand that. And then he says this, look at verse 12. These are spots in your love feasts. Listen, he's talking about, he's talking about coming together and when they join together, there's spots in your love feasts while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. Once again, he's letting us know all of these people are always self-serving. And that's one of the biggest clues. Who are they drawing attention to? Are they drawing attention to themselves or are they drawing attention and giving attention to the Lord and giving him the glory? Be careful when somebody glorifies themselves and puts themselves up on a pedestal so you look at them and you look to them. You should be looking to Jesus. I, I have written here, I've shared this before, I have written up here a saying that I, I, I got from Charles Spurgeon. And listen to what he says. This is heavy. He says, far better for a man that he had never been born than that he should degrade a pulpit into a showbox to exhibit himself in. I read that every time I get up here because I want to be careful. Listen, and here's what he's saying. These guys, what are they doing? They're serving themselves. They're not serving others. When they come to your love feast, there's somebody that, they're not there, listen, they're not there to bless you. They're not there to be part of it. They're there to get and to gain. And so he says, listen, they're spots. And, and some translations, or some say it should be translated, they're rocks in your love feasts. But anyway, they're there. Oh, by the way, love feasts are what we call today, some people call potlucks. We, we talked about that, right? We don't call them potlucks. Why? Because we quit doing pot and we don't believe in luck. So we kind of do the biblical thing and call them love feasts. So listen, we get together and we do that. And then he says this, listen, now he gives us some more illustrations. I love, and I love Jude's illustration. What an imagination he has. He says, they're clouds without water carried about by the winds. Isn't it horrible? Isn't it horrible? Hey, we live in southeast Arizona. We understand that whole thing of when you get this big old honking cloud and nothing. Right? During the rainy season, do you guys get up? It seems like I live in a vortex where it just like goes around me. And I'm going, what? I just looked at that. There was a huge cloud. I saw, I saw rain coming down. It sure didn't come at my house. Right? That's frustrating. That's what these guys are. So kind of think about that. That's what they are. They promise and then nothing. You get nothing out of them. And then he says, listen, then he uses another illustration in case we don't understand that one. He says what? He says, he says uh, they're, they're like late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Do you ever have a tree that didn't bear fruit? <clears throat> like it's aggravating, right? You guys, if you've been here, you know my saga on figs, right? My fig tree sagas. Hey, I got one now. I think it's gonna make it. I got, a, I got another one that kind of, I got another fig tree that it kind of like it, 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 it does. And then really late in the year, it starts putting figs on. I'm thinking it's kind of late, but maybe it'll be okay. And I start praying for those figs. <laughs> and then pretty soon it's like, and they're withered up. I'm like, stupid, I cut it down. I said, I'm tired of you, you're going. And now it's shooting up again. So I'm thinking, listen, here's what I'm thinking. Now it revitalized, it got reclimatized, it's gonna do the right thing, right? So I'm kind of, King Nelson, seriously, you're taking care of it? I go, it came back up. 
And then I have another one growing. But my favorite one was I had a fig tree that I kept thinking was alive and Danielle kept telling me it was dead. And I go, no, honey, we gotta take care of this thing, man. It's gonna make it. And I remember she came one day, I'm watering it. She came one day and said, Pat, that tree is dead. I go, I don't think so. She goes, look. <laughs> it had no roots, right? She goes, it is a stick in the ground and you're watering it. That's how good of a gardener I am. So every time I read this twice dead, that one was twice dead, right? Like it didn't give me any fruit and it's a stick. So I'll never forget her doing that. So listen, he tells us, listen, this is, this is trees. And so if you've ever had a tree that you really wanted fruit from, you know what I'm talking about, right? It doesn't produce, it's, it's frustrating. And then this one I don't relate to a whole bunch. Maybe some of you are from a different part of the country. Verse 13, raging waves of the sea foaming up their own shame. I don't live by the ocean. I'm, I'm a desert guy, right? So I don't fully understand, but I, I kind of get what he's talking about, right? You have these waves, and, and I guess especially during storms, they come in, they leave a bunch of debris, and all you get is debris, and you don't get anything good out of them. And again, what are all these things representing? Great promise, but nothing, right? Nothing, and some of it's nothing but, but, but clean up. And then the last one he brings up is he's saying they're wandering stars for whom the, is reserved the blackest darkness forever. Now, I find that kind of strange, but they're wandering stars, and I don't think he's talking, I think he's actually talking about stars. And I don't think he's talking about fixed stars. What's he talking about? Those that shoot across the sky, and what happens? Instantly, they're gone. Again, you see them, and they're bright for a second, and they're gone. That's these people who are showing up and who are trying to be part of the fellowship, but they're there just to rip you off. Saints, we need to be careful. We need to be people who are watchful and being careful about that, and we need to take note. Now, we're gonna stop here today. I know, I know we said we're gonna, we're never gonna finish the book of Jude. We're gonna do the book of Jude till Jesus comes back. We, we will finish, hopefully next week. You gotta keep coming back. I just, I found that this is working out well. Like you came last week and we didn't, oh, okay, well, I'll come back. Now you gotta come back again, right? But listen, listen, listen to what he's telling us. It's important that we pay attention. It's important that we're discerning. And I don't want us to be a bunch of sin sniffers, you know, and decide we're gonna question everybody and do stuff. But I think we need to have discernment. I think we need to be careful. I think we need to be a people. Be careful what you're, who you're listening to, whether it's live or whether it's a podcast or whether it's YouTube or whether it's some service that you've clicked on or whatever, be careful. Be careful what you read. Be careful of the books that you read. We sometimes get criticized here. As pastors, we are careful what we put in a bookstore. We censor what goes in there. Why? Because we care about the body. And we're not just gonna put anybody in there or any, any material in there because we care. And people say you can't do that. It's our bookstore. We can do it if we want. So we do it. We need to be people who are discerning, especially in 2022. As I said, we live in one of the greatest ages ever as far as, as being blessed. I, you know, hey, I remember when I got saved, we had to try and find tapes of people, those little square things, little rectangle things you'd put in, and they were hard to get a hold of. And now, man, 
We've got them in our pockets, right? Most of us are carrying smartphones. You've got all kinds of teaching. Get good teaching, not the bad teaching. Be discerning. So let's do that, and let's be people who are careful. So again, next week, maybe we'll finish Jude. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we thank you so much, God, for, for God, just how you love us, how you care about us. Thank you for your word that, that comes and, and challenges us and feeds us, Lord. And I do pray, I pray for myself, I pray for my brothers and sisters. God, that we would be, we would be those discerning people and we'd not just receive anything, but Lord, we would be careful and most of all, that we would make sure that it lines up with your word. And God, don't let us ever back down from your word and standing on your word. Be glorified in our lives, I pray. And I'm gonna ask all of you to stay in that, just that place of prayer for a couple more minutes. And I, I wanna talk to those who don't know Jesus. If you're here today, maybe mom asks you to come on Mother's Day. She says, hey, here's what I want for Mother's Day. I want you to come to church with me. Maybe you just, you know, maybe you just decided to come to church on Mother's Day, whatever it is. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, today is the day of salvation. Take that step today towards him and Start that relationship with him. So if you want to do that, the first thing you have to do is you've got to admit today that you are a sinner. You've got to come to that place where you're going to let God know that you know you're a sinner. He already knows, but you're letting him know you know. So confess you're a sinner, and then you need to be sorry for your sin. You need to have that understanding. You've sinned against a holy and righteous God. And when you sin against God, listen, you sin against all that he is. And here's the thing. Then when you sin against God, the Bible says what you earn is the eternal wrath of God. That's frightening. That's scary. The good news is Jesus Christ came, and when he went to the cross, he took the wrath that you deserve and took it upon himself. And he paid that penalty for you. And now today, here's what he's saying. You can have eternal life. I've taken care of what you owe, and all you have to do is trust me and believe in me and you will be saved. So if you wanna do that, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And uh, you can say this prayer out loud, you can say it silently, but you gotta be sincere. It's gotta come from your heart. If you're backslidden today, man, come home. I like to say it this way, it's time to front slide. Come home, come back to Jesus. His arms are open wide and, and receive what he has for you. If you're watching online, you can say the prayer right where you're at. You don't have to be in this building. You can call on the name of the Lord right where you're at. Jesus, today I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry, God, that I sinned against you. And now I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you today for your forgiveness. Now I want you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, come into my life and guide me. I'm asking you today to be my Lord and my Savior.